We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Notre Dame fans, welcome back to another edition of the Irish Breakdown Podcast. It's Wednesday, April 27th. It's hump day, and it's the day before the NFL draft starts. It's a few days since the spring game ended. There's a lot going on, especially for that dude right there. So we are going to talk to you all today about – we're going to talk some football today. So I know Ryan's the recruiting guy, but as I said to you all when I hired him, he can do a lot more than just recruiting. So we're going to talk about Notre Dame's football team here heading into – the really the phase three of the of the offseason right phase one is the winter conditioning program phase two is spring practice phase three is summer and then phase four is fall camp and then of course the season starts so we're going to talk about the offense today we'll talk about the defense here at some point in time next week uh, because tomorrow we're gonna have a draft show friday we'll have a mailbag And so, Ryan, I want to kind of start off. It's going to really kind of go a few different ways. Number one is we're going to talk about things we like, things that we're encouraged by. Some of it can be stuff we kind of thought was going to be good. Some of it, hey, you know what? I wasn't sure how this was going to be. Then we're going to dive into, you know, things we have questions about or areas that still need improvement. And there's always for Notre Dame, Ohio State, Bama, Clemson, Georgia, there's things right now that everybody has either questions about or areas that need to be improved upon. And then number three, we're going to kind of get in a little of the position battles. Mm-hmm. You know, what are the what are the battles that are open right now? What battles maybe could come open in the fall that maybe we don't think are open right now? And at the end, we kind of added this late. We weren't planning on doing this, but I just wanted to have some fun today. We're going to kind of make three early bold predictions, right? You know, it's the way too early top 25s and all that. We're going to kind of do a way too early bold prediction just for fun. Obviously, we'll do this again as we get closer to the season and we have even more intel, but we're going to. We're going to have some fun with that today, too. And then, of course, we'll we'll take some of your questions at the end of this show as well. So, Ryan, let's talk about the Notre Dame offense and, and really the thing, the, the takeaways from the spring that that as we fa- as we kind of look forward to the Notre Dame offense moving forward, the things that we're most encouraged by. And I think for for me and, and you, there's one area we definitely are going to be on the same page on, and that is the running back depth chart. Now there there's questions about the running back depth chart as in like, you know, who's one, who's two, who's three, who's four, who's five, but it's more of a, because it's so deep, 
But I mean, I, I whether it's the practices we saw, whether it's reports we're getting from sources, and then what we saw in the spring game, Notre Dame, in my opinion, is absolutely loaded at running back right now. Now it for sure is. I mean, sometimes when there's no separation amongst the group, you're like panicking. You're like, oh no, no one stepped up. No one is the clear guy. No one took that you know massive leap going into you know sophomore, junior, whatever it might be for Notre Dame. I felt like every running back on the roster showed a lot in this in this spring, which kind of gives you a little a little momentum and a little positivity. Where like, how are they going to use all these guys? Are there going to be two? I mean, we get how many questions have we gotten? Are they going to use two running back packages? Are we going to get all these guys on the field as much as possible? That is the exciting part of this offense is that there's so many different styles, but the fact that there wasn't a huge separation in a good way shows you that this running back position is about as stacked as it's ever been. I mean, honestly, Brian, you're in your time covering this, this team. Do you ever remember a running back room this deep? Like it's pretty insane to think about. No, I mean, we've, we've seen some years where there was some confidence going in like one and two, right? I mean, it, it, but never this like 2017, I think was probably the closest, you know, cause you, you know, Josh Adams had had two good seasons, you know, had a great freshman year, had a, a, a little bit of a sophomore slump, but his sophomore slump was still impressive. 900 yards over five yards of carry. You had Dexter Williams coming, you know, kind of as a guy that had showed some promise. You had Tony Jones, who was a guy I was always high on. And then, of course, we saw Deion McIntosh make plays that year as well when he got his chance. I say 2017 is probably the closest. You know, there's been some really good one-two punches. You know, Sierra Wood and Jonas Gray in 2011. Sierra Wood and Robert Hughes in 2010. And a little bit of Armando Allen. But by that point in time, Armando was just not not the impact player that, you know, that we thought he would be coming out of high school before the injury. In 2012 was a really good one-two punch with Sierra and 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 Theo Riddick. You know, pretend 13 and 14 didn't happen. 15, you know, going into the season, I couldn't say like the the, the depth chart in 2015 turned out to be really good, Ryan. But did we really think that CJ at this time going into 2015 did anyone was anyone like, yep, hey, mark me down for for CJ Procise stepping in and going for a grand after having never <laughs> played running back in his like since like little league football. And then being right. like a third round draft selection or right. whatever it was, right? Running at running back. Yeah. Right. I mean, he went into this the first game as the number two running back. Josh Adams was obviously a really good player for Notre Dame that year. Dexter Williams didn't play a ton, a little bit in mop up duty. But I mean, going in, I didn't see it that being that deep. 17, we talked about 18. You know, it was it was Dexter. It was, I mean, they had to move, they had to move Jafar Armstrong to running back in 2018 because the depth was a concern. You know, 19, you got to the Georgia game and you had one healthy running back, and it was Tony Jones Jr. So it's been a minute since we've really seen, and then you know, 2020, it was just it was Tyree and and Kyron, you know, really. Jameer Smith was banged up, Sebo was just a nice short yardage guy. So to answer your question, Ryan, there's been years where there's four or five solid players that I liked. But there's never been a year where it's like, okay, that dude could start and go for a grand. That dude could start for go and go for a grand. That, I mean, literally, if they just said, hey, you know what? We're going to pick one back and he's going to be our horse and everybody else is just going to kind of, you know, spell him. Whoever they decided, like, okay, he's going to rush for a thousand this year. I mean, it, it, it's, it, it's, it's been a long time. I feel like this is what it must have been like for like Lou Samoji and Tim Priester and guys like that to like cover Notre Dame during the Lou Holtz era because they were just like always loaded at running back. You know, you lose Reggie Brooks and Jerome Bettis. It's all right. We're fine. You got Lee Beckton and Ray Zellers ready to step into the rotation the next yeah. year. But that's where you want to be. And 
And it just goes to show, like, it doesn't have to be a bunch of five-star guys. Running back is one of those positions I don't think you necessarily need the five stars. I've got some theories about five stars and why I prefer not to have five stars at running back, to be honest with you, Notre Dame, uh, in most instances. But it's a loaded group, Ryan. It's just the, yeah. the, the, the question is, and, you know, there's always questions within the strengths, right? The question is now, okay, you've got this group. They're talented. But it just it doesn't just mean you plug and play them. There needs to be some strategy to how they're used, and that would be the the sort of the unknown, the thing that we need to see from this group moving forward. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Yeah, I think there's always obviously the niche aspects of an offense, right? Like you talk about guys being third down specialists. You talk about guys being short yardage backs. And I think there's definitely going to be an emphasis on kind of understanding roles. But it's such an exciting group because I don't think that you necessarily have to just make a guy a niche in this offense, you know? like that. So all these guys, I mean, I keep talking about it, but the one practice I was able to see at Notre Dame, the open practice for the media – Audrey Gestime was running routes as, as well as anybody, in my opinion. Like, I think that all these guys can do so many different things. And one cool thing, too, Brian, is like, I'm not saying that this is like a consistent thing historically, right? But when you see the teams that have been consistently good teams for the most part over the last like decade or so, the Alabamas and then even Georgia last year, they have dudes down the depth chart where right. it's not 
Like they're not going to have five stars like my, like Alabama has in the running back, but like there was years where Alvin Kamara couldn't get on the field because he right. was injured and he was behind guys like Kenyon Drake and TJ Yeldon and all these guys. And then Georgia last year, I mean, Kenny McIntosh was a high four-star recruit and he barely played. Kendall um, the, Milton, same Kendall way. Middle, yeah, yeah. Kendall Milton was like a five-star by a couple platforms. It, like he's the third stringer to Zamir White and, and, um, and Cook. So yeah, I think the talent at the running back position is kind of a thing where you see the best teams in college football traditionally have a deep running back room. And I think right. that that's a good sign of things to come for Notre Dame. And, and we've seen it from, you know, Clemson in, in years where they've been able to kind of just replace one guy with another. Their depth in, in recent years hasn't been great, but, you know, they had Wayne Gallman in the first title, Travis Etienne in the second title. Ohio yep. State's just every time they lose one back, they replace them with another. They've got depth. So I think depth is key. There's no question, but it's got to be depth of guys that can be impact players. And I think that's what makes this group different. There's been years Notre Dame's had four or five you know, good running backs. The difference is, is like with this group, it's like if if you had to put Jadarian Price in a game, you're like, you just put a home run hitter in a game. Now, you know, he's not, it's not perfect. He's still a freshman, got to get stronger and all that. I don't know if he's at a place yet physically where he's ready to be like the you know, the 15-plus carry-per-game bell cow type of thing. I don't know if he's there yet, just physically, but his game is there, right? And that, and he's going to hit some home runs if you can find a neutral form, and I think that's the the first takeaway is is you've got a really good room. And, and I'll be honest with you, too, I think there's some really good running back coaches on the board that I liked. Dylan McCullough was not a guy early on that was that we were told was like, probably not going to happen. When that one happened, it's kind of like you, you you look into the resume and you're like this this is this is a a, a a my opinion the ideal fit because he's coached in several different types of systems, but I really felt like that NFL experience was going to be really important for fitting into this offense with this running back room because it it, it it's a group that because they're a pro style offense they're not a spread offense. You, you need a, a running back coach that can teach them how to do so many different things. And we've heard Coach McCullough talk about, you know, I've got, you know, all these different types of things that I need backs to do and all this other kind of stuff. It's like he understands, hey, you don't just have one guy for one, you know, all the roles. You Maybe you can, but you don't have to. You've got different – this is how you use different guys' strengths. Because it's not as easy as it may sound. It, it takes some strategy. You know, your play caller has to know, like, look, when we do this, I when this guy's in the game, this is our emphasis. When this guy's in the game, this may be our emphasis. Hey, we have this package put together for these two guys. And, you know, that, that that's kind of part of the process, Ryan, in regards to having a really good grasp of what this what this group can do. And and to Coach McCullough, if you look at his if his is at his experience specifically in college, he has shown that he can do it both ways too, as far as if he has a guy that has the hot hands, he has no problem sticking with that guy if that's the person that kind of separates himself. But he's also shown you when you have Stephen Houston and Divine Reddig, or you have Tevin Coleman and Divine Redding, and they're both good football players, splitting carries and using utilizing them in the ways that make your team successful is something that he's also able to do. I think that's huge because some guys, I think, kind of just get tunnel vision and say, like, that's the one known commodity. That's all I can do. But Coach McCullough has shown that he has confidence to play multiple running backs in their roles. And I think that's huge, man. Like it is. And he, I mean, the track record speaks for itself, right? Like he had right. Tevin Coleman over 2000. He had Jordan Howard who came over from UAB and had a fantastic uh, season with Indiana. He was a part of the USC team that Ronald Jones had his best season. And one underrated part of when he was in the NFL was 
his last year, uh, well, not his last year, when he was with the uh, the Chiefs when they won the Super Bowl, Brian, like who was – this is very underrated because I think Patrick Mahomes won the MVP, if I remember correctly. But Damian Williams was really good in that football game, man. Right. Like he was a big emphasis on why they won that game against the 49ers. So Coach McCullough showed that he can do it in a lot of different ways, which gives me hope that if there is three to four running backs that have shown capable, he will not be afraid to go to that to that um, to that ideology. And I think we saw it last year from from Tommy Reese as well, in a little bit more than we saw in 2020. That's for sure. I mean, in 2020, it was a little frustrating because they were they were they were putting just t- Chris Tyree in the game to do what Kyron Williams did. Last year, I think we saw a little bit more of that. You know, where where he not so much with different players, but using the back in so many different ways. You know, we saw more of that last year and and being able to use multiple players. Now we need to see if he can use those guys together because what we didn't see a ton last year was like Logan Diggs didn't get his chance until somebody got hurt, right? We never really saw Audric Estime. We never saw them use three backs. We always saw them use two, you know, because Chris Tyree was banged up late. They didn't use him either. We do need to see that Tom Reese can do it, but I think what, I, what I'm referring to is the different ways in which he used the running backs will make it easy for him to plug one guy in to another because Kyron Williams could really do all of it last year. And there are guys on this group that can do all of it too, but you don't need to, in my opinion, because you have guys that can maybe do this guy. This guy's the better back here, but this guy's the better back over here. So you use those strengths, you know, to, to really improve your football team. I think that's a big key for me as well. Yeah, yeah, and I'm looking forward to seeing how the usage obviously goes in the passing game, especially. Like, I want to see if there is a running back or two of that group where they want to kind of function as that de facto third down back, the the space back, or if there's an element where they think all of them could do it. Because I do think all of them can do it right. for their own niche. And then you get into the the conversation of what does pass protection look like, right? Because that was like one of the underrated thing. Well, not underrated by Notre Dame fans, but. Kyron Williams was one of the best blocking running backs over the last couple of years in this draft, in my opinion. So mm-hmm. he was a fantastic pass protector. Are these young guys up to the challenge to kind of, you know, supplement what you're missing with Kyron Williams from that aspect? So impact in the passing game is going to be a big thing because I think if you get Kyrus Tyree the ball in space, you get Jadarian Price the ball in space, you get Logan Diggs the ball in space, and you can even do some things with Audric Estime. I feel like that could be an underrated element of this game because I think that you can create a lot of mismatches with the running backs that you have on this yeah. roster. There's no question. And we had a, a really interesting question very, or even before the show started from Rob, Rob Osgood that I think is, is good to bring up in this conversation as well. And he says, you know, part one is one thing that the, uh, the Bloom Gold game showed me was the importance of the running backs running pass game. Is it your opinion that Tommy Reese will use more running back play early in the season to give confidence on Tyler Buckner? Then open it up more. Nothing better for a young quarterback than a strong offensive line running back that can run and catch a safety valve in the tight end. Thanks, guys. Love what y'all do. I, I have mixed feelings about that, Brian. I do because I mean I think there's there is definitely there's something to the fact of like let, letting a guy get comfortable, right? You get the run game going, pass protection's going well, and then you kind of mix in more passing as everything kind of the the flow of the offense is going. But then also. I'm a big fan of letting the quarterback get going early, right? Like give him some easy completions, make make things simple for him early, and then you kind of put a higher emphasis on it. But then there's other quarterbacks that like, hey, man, they just want to come out and they just want to rip it, right. you know? Like they don't want that little, a little, you know, jockeying in nice and slowly. So I think that, Rob, for me, it really depends on the quarterback, you know? Like each of them tick in such different ways. 
I, Tyler kind of strikes me as a person that might just want to kind of let it rip a little bit early and kind of, cause the, the big thing about him is I think, I think Tyler has a lot of confidence in his arm. I think he has a lot of confidence mm-hmm. as a passer in general. I think that understanding, not, I don't call them limitations, but like the, the reach of like some of the throws that you can make now is important for him early. I don't mm-hmm. want him to be perfect. I want him to take some chances. So that's just my opinion, but I think it depends solely on what quarterback you're talking about. I, I mean, look, I, Tyler Buckner's going to be starting quarterback in my opinion, right? And so let's let's look at it from that standpoint. I, I think, first of all, I think this team is going to run a football. I think Tom Reese wants to run the football because that's who Tom Reese is. And 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 also when you look at like the opener, that's something you want to do against Ohio State. You want to run the football in Ohio State because A, they're not good at stopping it. And B, there is the notion of you you don't want to get into an up-tempo shootout with Ohio State. So that is, I mean, we saw that with Michigan last year. We saw that with Oregon last year. We saw that with Utah last year. Just Utah's defense wasn't able to keep Ohio State in check. But they're going to come out and do that. But that's because that's more of what the DNA of this team is going to be. But I, but I think that the what what I'm not saying when I say that, Ryan, is I don't see this like being 2020. Right? There's being a team that's built around running the football, and then there's being a team that's built around being conservative and protecting the quarterback and protecting the pass game and protect you're trying to kill the clock. That's what I don't think that's what this team is going to be. I think this team is going to be more of a hey, we're going to come out, we are good up front, we are low to the backfield, we got a quarterback that can do damage with his legs. We'd be stupid not to be a team that's really good at running the football. It's going to be because of that, because that's what our strengths are, not so much protecting Tyler Buckner. Because I think Tyler got a lot of playing time last year. I mean, that's the thing. You don't need to protect Tyler. He's been in those big moments. He's been in those big games. He's played at Lane Stadium. He's played against Cincinnati. He's played, you know, in all these situations. So I don't think you need to protect him. I also don't think you're going to come out and ask him to throw the ball 68 times like you did against Oklahoma State. That's the whole point, you know, it's like you're good because you're going to run the football. So to your point, I think there's merit, Ryan, to saying, hey, look, you can't just come out and ground and pound and then. Tyler's first throw was on third and seven of a drive, right? You don't want to get in that situation either. You know, let him run RPOs. And that's what's so beautiful about the RPO system is you can throw the ball even when you're establishing the run game if the defense right. is going to overplay the run. And so I think they're going to come out and, and be a balanced offense that really thrives on being really dominant running the football, but also explosive and efficient throwing the football. Because at the end of the day, Ohio State may not be able to stop Notre Dame's run game. And Notre Dame may run for 250-plus and stay in that game or win that game, just hypothetically. They're going to go play Clemson down the road, and Clemson will be able to slow down their run game because Clemson has the talent that if they – if they're like Ohio State could commit the resources to Notre Dame's run game and still not stop it. Yeah. They're just not good there. At least they haven't been Mm -hmm. for what we know. Clemson is. If Clemson commits resources to stopping Notre, Notre Dame's running game, guess what? They're not going to run the football. I, yeah. I don't care how good they are. You can bring we, back the 2017 offensive line, and they're not going to run the football. Mm-hmm. And, and what hurt that 2017 offense is when teams were like that, Georgia is going to overload you in the box and stop you from running. They didn't having to turn to. That's the difference in this team because I don't think they're. I don't think it's going to be like, well, we're just going to run it until you tell us we can't. They're going to come in and throw the football effectively, but. I think it's more of a, hey, you're still going to get your 280 passing, but instead of getting it off, you know, 37 pass attempts and, you know, 28 completions because you're, you know, you're just throwing it all the time and your run, your pass game is an extension of your run game because you can't run the football. 
your 280 is going to come off of a, a 17 for 24 performance, right? Like that kind of thing, or a 20 for 28 performance. It's going to look a lot like, you know, when Ian Book first took over in 2018. You know, they, they were running the ball well for a little bit there, and Ian was hitting the RPOs and taking the shots down the field, and he was going like, you know, 23 of 34 for 320 yards, and they were still running for 200 yards in those games. So I think that's more of what this offense wants to be because, you know, I think Kenny, Kenny Moore had a great comment and, and I, and I, I completely agree with him here. I, I want to find Kenny's comment. I thought I, here, here it is. Kenny said running or throwing doesn't matter to me this year. Just be dynamic Notre Dame. That's all that matters. And I think that's the philosophy that Tom Reese is going to have. And I think that's where a lot of the excitement that I have comes from with this football team, Ryan, is because yes, I think they're loaded at running back. I think the offensive line is going to be really good. I think they've got the best tight end in college football, et cetera, et cetera. They got a dynamic runner at quarterback that if they if they wanted to run a run oriented offense, you have a quarterback that could rush for a thousand yards this year. Absolutely. Able to stay healthy if you wanted to do that. But the thing about it is, is I don't think they have to do that, and I don't think they should do that. I think this is the this is the offense that has a chance to be the most balanced offense they've had since 2015. Mm-hmm. And and that's that's what's exciting about it. Now can they be consistent and all that, which the 2015 team wasn't? Can they play well in November, which the 2015 team couldn't? Those are all questions that we'll have to find out. But talent-wise, I think that it can be that. And it, but it, it's going to be it's going to begin with the run game. You have to you have to come out and let teams know right away we're going to run it on you, mm-hmm. right? Because last year you couldn't. We're going to run it right down your throat. What are you going to do about it? Because then that creates those big play pass opportunities that Notre Dame is looking for. So, you know, we're not going to be talking about like tempo this year. We're not going to be talking. That's not who this team is going to be. This is a pro style offense that is going to come at you and it's going to run the ball down your throat and look to shred you in the pass game. That it's not, not so much volume wise, but yards per attempt, creating isolations, all that kind of stuff. RPOs, getting guys in space. I think that's what we're going to see. And that, that was kind of one of my, one of the things I'm encouraged by and, you know, saw it more in the spring practices than the spring game. Like, I'm just going to tell you all right now, Ryan, you can attest to this. You were at a full practice, the only one we were allowed to go to. What we saw in the spring game isn't even close to the package that Tommy Reese has on offense. That was about as vanilla of an offense as you're going to see. People need to understand that when they're looking at the spring game. That was an extremely vanilla offense, and there's a reason for that. They don't want to show anything, but I'm just telling you, you look at the film from the end of last year and you look at what they did in practice. I'm very encouraged by the, by the scheme that, because we are seeing the things I look, here's, you have to do RPOs. You have to do it in today's game. You don't have to, you don't have to live in that world, right? Like where it's just who you are, but it has to be a part of what you do. And what I mean is you don't have to have an RPO on every single play, you know, with their 12 personnel, the things that they can do with Tyler Buckner as a runner, you don't have to have an RPO every play, but it has to be it has to be a, a, a good dose of it because it just it, it it protects you in ways that you couldn't protect yourself in seventeen and fifteen, and and I think that needs to be a, a big part of what you do. But there's things that they do. We know we've seen it in practice, right? You know we've seen it in games last year that Tommy Reese when he kind of was able to kind of finally take full control of the offense. He was doing more things to create isolations. I mean, it wasn't just the vertical, horizontal stretch stuff that they lived in so much early in the season. I think the pass pro gotten getting better late in the year also helped with those things because there's things they couldn't do. But 
mean, how many times did we see early in the game and, and down in November that he was able to do an isolation that got Kevin Austin wide open across the middle? He was by far their best player, best receiver, I should say. And you're able to you're able to scheme multiple times on the stretch of him just getting wide. He did it on I think first play of the game against Georgia Tech, right? Did it early against Stanford. Things that you weren't seeing earlier in the year, schematically, you weren't seeing those things. And so he's going to be able to do that. But when you're able to add a, a run game on top of that, it just gives you so much more you can go to in the pass game. Well, and to your point about the RPO, you know, element to an offense, it makes things really simple. I mean, for the most part, right? It's it's you're making a read off of how many numbers are in the box, right? If there's light in the box, you're handing the ball off. If there's not, if there's not numbers uh, that you're that you're winning in the box, you're gonna pull it. And I think that Buckner has the skill set to be very successful with that early on, right? Like to keep those boxes light. I think he's a quick processor for his age. I think he's obviously a dynamic player. And an RPO that was utilized by a Jack Cohn is going to be a much different looking play potentially than a Tyler Buckner because he also could have the uh, the read the run option off of that look as well. I mean, you thought you talk about the play where he kind of threw it over the top to. Chris Tyree heading down the sideline. Like th- I think that that settles a player in easy too because you're getting a lot of easy reads as far as the passing attack. You're establishing the run game still, and you're not handicapping his that dynamic ability. Like He could still pull and run the football as well. I mean, to your point, Tyler Buckner could easily be 800 to 1,000-yard runner. Like he's, If he's, he wanted to gear towards that. Right, right. Well, yeah, if, right, if, 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 it's, right. if he was playing with Ohio State when Urban Meyer was there, he could be Braxton Miller. That's or my the 2017 point. Notre Dame offense, right. Yeah. I know where you're coming from, right? I just want to make sure people don't take that as Ryan predicted that Tyler Buckner is going to run for 800 to 1,000 yards. No, our point is if they wanted to be that kind of offense, to Ryan's point, if they wanted to be a, a, a Taj Boyd offense, a, a, a Woody Dancer Clemson offense, a Notre Dame 2017 offense, he could bring that to the table. It's just you don't need to be that with him at quarterback, and I and I think that's a that's and here, here's the thing like Irish one and I give like he says this great comment. Hopefully with eight in the box we can still run the ball against Ohio State. Cannot wait for that game. And yeah, hopefully they can still run the ball. But here's the thing: why you don't have to, right? You don't have yeah. to, yeah, right? Exactly. That, that's yeah. the whole point is you need to develop enough, and we'll get to the you know the the concern about this later. But you need to get to the point where you've got the best tight end in college football, in my opinion. You've got backs that can catch the football. You've got good – I mean, we've seen what Lorenzo Styles can do. We've seen what Avery Davis can do on a big stage. We we know that they've got good players. Do they have championship-caliber receivers? That remains to be seen. But they have good good receivers that in isolations as complements to the run game can at least be good football players and a great tight end. We've You can you can be a pretty explosive offense. So my, my point is, yeah – It'd be nice if Notre Dame could just run out and, and go eight in a box and beat Ohio State, and that, that that sounds great. But my question is, as always, is, but but why? You know, in some years you needed to do that. In 2017, they needed to do that because they they weren't good enough throwing the football to to not do that. Right. This team doesn't have to do that. But so you look at the running back, you look at the scheme. I think this the the personnel fits the scheme that Tommy Reese wants to utilize a lot more than it did his first year, in my opinion, because you do have more speed. Here's a question we don't know, Ryan, and we'll get to this. Like, we don't know how good Notre Dame is going to be at receiver, meaning, like, do they have difference makers? Do they have a, a number one? Do they have, all, you know, future high-round pick? We don't know the answer to that. But what we do know of the guys that are coming back, they have speed. Now, we don't know if they're great receivers, but they can run. This is Notre. This is going to be Notre Dame's fastest receiving core since 
like as far as practical game speed since since 2015. It's not as fast as 2015 because there's no Will Fuller, but it's the fastest since then. That also adds to what we think Tommy Reese is going to like to do because, again, when you don't have great receivers, there are things you can do. Brian Kelly said this a long time ago. He never actually lived it, at least not in Notre Dame. He did it Cincinnati, but he didn't live it. But he made a point that's a- even that's accurate even still today, Ryan, which is on offense, you don't necessarily need elite players. That's, you know, and he, he didn't say this. I'm saying this. Right. On offense, you don't necessarily need – you don't need a Julio Jones on offense. Like, let's be real. If you look at Julio Jones in his prime and Cooper Cup in his prime, <laughs> Cooper Cup isn't in the same universe as Julio Jones as a talent. Sure. Right? But he's able to be dynamic because he's, you know, his skill. He is a good player. But the scheme, if you were to go ask him to do things that Julio Jones had earned in his career, Cooper Cup doesn't have the numbers he had this year. The scheme combined with his talent and his route running precision and all that allows his numbers to be at a level that you'd think he is a, a Julio Jones in his prime or right. you know, a guy like that. And that's the point is because you can scheme your way into success on offense. And they have enough athletes at receiver to do that, to complement it. But at the end of the day, it all comes down to the run game, which we'll get into more. I do want to talk about something, Ryan, that also encouraged me. And again, it's still, it's, it's a work in progress and it also is going to be part of the improvement aspect, but it also needs to be talked about here. The receivers in an offensive line are not finished products yet. And there's still a lot of work to get done, but I was very encouraged by what I saw throughout the spring in regards to their growth. They definitely took a step from practice one to practice 15 from a toughness standpoint. The technique got better. You know, you're, you're starting to see some, some guys settle in as, as certain roles. I'm very encouraged by the growth that those units saw. Now the, the success this season will be determined by what happens from here to September 3rd, but they made the necessary growth in my opinion that needed to be made from practice one to practice 15. Yeah, no, I think you saw a lot of growth, and I think you expected it for some players, right? Like you expect sophomore Blake Fisher to take a big step. You expect Joel to take a big step because, I mean, usually a freshman to sophomore year jump is just massive just in general, right? But the fact that you saw that much growth, I mean, it's understandable with Coach Heastand obviously coming back, but it's also huge to me the fact that you didn't have your – quote-unquote leader out there you know I, I'm sure Josh Lug is a leader to a degree but the best offensive lineman most proven offensive lineman on the team is Jared Patterson he wasn't even there obviously in the spring right like he was there but he wasn't participating in the spring so the fact that you saw that improvement from practice one until practice 15 tells me that there's a emphasis from an individual perspective like they understand that last year wasn't acceptable right they understand that they are way too talented to be not a good unit up front and having Coach E stand back, I think, is a big element in that. But I also think that we can't undersell, and I think people do too often, that there's a lot of talent up front, man. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a lot of talent. You honestly could be in the situation, Brian, if things shake out the way it looked early, right? Like, obviously, there's an interior battle that's going to happen at guard. But you could be in a situation where Josh Lug is your least talented offensive lineman of the five, which I think kind of yeah. speaks. I mean, like him or Christophic, right? Like, there you go. Yeah. That's yeah. Who you're very high on. Right. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, exactly. Talent won't be an issue this year. And and here's the thing that people I, I've had a lot of people come to me and and ask me understand it's it's they're all they're good questions. Like this isn't me taking it. They're good questions because you know they look at the the spring game and and they didn't run the ball great and there were some protection issues and they're they're concerned and I understand that especially looking at the past. But number one is 
You have to keep two things in mind. This was always part of the process, which is exactly why we said last week before the game that I don't care about the execution aspect of it. I, I, I don't. That, that, that'll that come. In April, I care about are you competing and are you growing in the areas that were, were more toughness issues, You know, driving your feet through contact? Are you, are you battling? Are you competing? I didn't expect them to come and push Notre Dame. This is one of the best defensive lines in the country. I didn't expect them to come push those guys around in this game. I thought they competed. The other part that you got to remember is the line that had been kind of working together, the starting line in the spring, did not play together in the blue-gold game. And that matters. I mean, that part of it matters. And, and so – and you and you didn't have – I mean, like I, like I said yesterday, Ryan, there was four or five times where the defense brought a guy screaming off the edge where I'm like, if Dollar Buckner's in the game, that's that's a huge play for the offense. You're not doing that with it, you know, because because Notre Dame was – I didn't see a single RPO on Saturday. Not one. I didn't. I didn't see a single read zone on Saturday. Not one. So you all have to understand that – and part of that, too, was challenging the line. Hey, we're not going to give you those outs. We're not going to give you that protection. We're not going to get do those things. We want to see how you handle the competition of it. We want to see how you handle competing. We want to see how you handle adversity. I think that was all part of the process. But from step one to step 15, both of those units saw growth. We also saw – we saw plays – I think it was Deion Colsey. He had a play – it was the play – you know what it was, right? I think it was the play where he would have scored a touchdown had Buckner got the ball up. But he did this really nice – and I have to go back and watch it again because I, I think this – but he did like this really nice like hard jab outside – and the, got the guy to jump, and he rips inside because he's wearing an end cut. So he knew, I got to get inside. I can't just let this guy wash me inside. Jabs him hard outside, gets the guy to bite, gets slips inside of him, and then stems back out and then breaks inside and gets open. And if a quarterback throws a decent ball there, it's a touchdown, right? Like, that's a guy that people are complaining about for some reason. You know, yeah. as far you know, there was times where I saw Braden Lindsay with a good release. And then there was other times, like the play where he he actually ends up making the catch he just basically does a half-hearted move and then just easily runs outside and chance Tucker's all over him. So again, there are works in progress, but there was other snaps where like, okay, you saw the hard jab and then slip and then get back out. We saw guys stacking receipt. We saw guys stacking DBs in the game on Saturday. We are you allowed to do that? Yeah, I didn't know you were you're allowed, allowed to do, do that. that in college football, right? <laughs> I know it's just I've completely read the rules wrong in the past. We didn't think we could do that. So, but then there's other places they didn't do it. That's part of the evolution of your team because, again, it's 15 practices in. You'll have at least 40 before the first game. And so, to me, that was an improvement, like especially for the receiving core. Because, look, let's be honest. I assume I'd have been shocked if they didn't show improvement on the offensive line. You've got one of the best in the business. The other guy, Chancey Stuckey, has been a receivers coach for a year, one year, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, he did some nice things at Baylor, but you know, this isn't Baylor, you know. So it was nice to see that competition. It was nice to see young guys coming out and playing well. It was nice to see that. You know, Jaden Thomas played well. When I went back and watched the game, I thought Deion Colsey played a lot better than I thought he did because there were times when, like, if the quarterback throws him the flipping ball, he, if if Tyler Buckner – or not Tyler Buckner, if Drew Pine just does two simple things, properly read a squatted corner in the red zone and just throws an in cut a foot higher, Deion Colsey has two touchdowns in the game. Right, and the conversation is completely different about him. Yeah, and and so I was encouraged by what I saw because number one, I wasn't expecting this to look like a mid-season form group. I saw the improvements. I saw enough of the okay, that's what I'm looking for. We saw them competing for footballs. Right, I mean, 
Braden Lindsay made a great catch, but we also didn't see them throw the ball downfield a lot. And that's something that, that I, we did see, we, you did get a chance to see some of that though in practice and they battle, they battle for the football. So we're seeing improvement. And, and so at the very least, we know they're going to be coached much better than they were last year. Will it be at an elite level? That remains to be seen. But they're at least a significantly more fundamentally sound unit than they were a season ago. Well, that's what I was going to say is there's an attention to detail. Like he, You could see it with, obviously, Coach Eastan, you know, working through contact, being physical, f- f- you know, running your feet on contact, playing through the whistle. Like, those things are all emphasis emphases i don't know what the word is there it's a big emphasis though for coach stands coaching right and then you watch chancy stucky which i saw in live in person and you know you're working releases you're working you know how to get off a press you're doing all those types of things working at the catch point all those finer details to being a good football player at their position there's an attention to detail and i i think that that cannot be undersold the fact that Notre Dame does not have a talent deficiency. There's not a talent deficiency. It's the fact that they are not, they have not been enough harped on the details of playing the specific positions. If they can do that, I think you're going to see Lorenzo Styles make a huge jump. You're going to see Deion Colsey maybe make a huge jump. You're going to see these offensive linemen look worlds better than they did last year because it's not a talent issue. It is right. a fact that they just were not fundamentally sound all the time. Let's transition to the areas that we think Notre Dame needs to improve and continue to get better and stay along the same line. Because I literally have on here my number one thing I was encouraged by, O-line receiver improvement. My number one question and is how much better will they continue to get? <laughs> right? I mean, because that's the legit. I mean, if we're going to be objective, what we saw in the spring was growth. That's what we wanted. But it can't stay here. Right. Like that's the thing. And and the coaches don't want that. They're not like, hey, we've arrived. I can promise you that. That's not what they think. The question is how much better is it going to get? Right. And and that's the thing that remains to be seen. Now, I I, again, I'm fully expect the offensive line to be there. The receivers is the one because the receivers, there's depth issues. And and again, I love what I've seen from Chancey Stuckey so far. But in this world, it's it's, you got to show me. And the only way you can truly show me is on the field where Coach Eastan's had a chance to sh- look two times in his last three years in Notre Dame, he put the best offensive line in the country on the field. Let's be honest. In the, the down year, 2016, they had two All-Americans. <laughs> right? I'll take that. <laughs> right? I mean, the down year in 2016 was better than most of the last five years with the exception of 2020. So I, I know he's going to get that line ready to go, but we still need to see it. The bigger question is Chancey Stuckey, but I'm going to be honest with you, Ryan. I, I am a lot more encouraged about about it getting there now after seeing Coach Stuckey for you know what we saw and, and seeing the spring game than I was when it started where I was hopeful, but it was a big unknown. But how the growth from now until then is is to me one of the big question marks. And it's only first because of the transition aspect of it. It's right. not necessarily my biggest question mark moving forward. Yeah, I mean, I think at worst you're it's going to be better than it was, right? Like, I don't think there's any question about that. What you're kind of referring to, in my opinion, is there has to be exponential growth, right? Like, you can't right. just – you can't hit a point and then plateau. Like, right. you, especially now. Like, it's, this needs to continue through summer. Guys stick into their workout regimens, stick into their, their nutrition, all that good stuff. 
And then when you hit fall, then you have another nice little bump and it's just about consistently getting better. Like you hear that a lot, but exponentially speaking, it can't, you can't plateau. Like the, right. you don't want to plateau, especially not in the spring. Like that would could be the worst case scenario. So you're optimistic, of course, but we can't get ahead of ourselves. Like there's right. still a lot of work that has to be done. There's no question right. about that. Right. The other, the other question I have, obviously I think depth at receiver still a legitimate question mark because I'll say this. If everybody comes back healthy, I expect the receivers to be just fine. Cause we saw the spring, you know, you've got Lorenzo, you've got uh Braden Lindsay. We got a chance to see Jaden Thomas really step up and play. Well, we got a chance to see Deion Colsey who's still very much a work in progress. But again, I think he's showing growth. You'll have Tobias Merriweather back or, or arriving this summer, who was my highest ranked receiver of the last 10 years coming out of high school for Notre Dame. You know, guy that we ranked in the top 50 for SI 99 or in the SI 99 for SI American. And then you get Avery Davis and Joe Wilkins back. Look, that that's plenty of depth for a football team. The question, however, is will they stay healthy? Number one, which is a legitimate question because there's several guys on the list who haven't been able to stay healthy. Joe Wilkins had a couple injuries. Avery Davis had the big knee. That was the only injury he's ever really had that I can remember. Raiden Lindsay's been a guy that has had trouble staying healthy. So Jaden Thomas has been banged up the last two years. It's a legitimate question. And then the second part of it is, yes, it's fine that you stay healthy. But the, the, the next part of that is, though, Ryan, is will Avery Davis and Joe Wilkins be at their top form? That's a bigger question, especially for, for – especially for Joe because he had the second injury. But even Avery Davis, you know, with knees, like nowadays, Ryan, it's like guys come back sometimes faster and stronger than they did before. The problem Mm -hmm. with Avery is his injury happened in November. That's, that's my concern there. So depth at receiver to me still is one of the bigger question marks, no matter what we think of the talent. I didn't say they lack talent at receiver. No. I said they lack depth, and and that depth is going to be tested this season. No question about it. Yeah, I mean, that's why we get the question every almost every podcast about, like, is there a running back that you would potentially use in the slot a ton to take those reps away? I, are they going to go they, to the portal for another receiver? Right. They are trying to do. Right, exactly. I mean, I think that there's ways that you could supplement that, obviously, with the tight end room as well. Like, you can give Michael Mayer more snaps in the boundary or in the slot. Like, there's ways that you can figure out that depth issue, but – as long as everybody's healthy, I'm not worried about that that scope of it, right? But it's it is to your to your point. If Joe can't get back to a reasonable state, if Avery Davis has a setback, let's say, then you're in a really bad spot because now not only are you depending on younger players fully now at that point, a bunch of sophomores and freshmen. Also, it, what if one of them gets hurt? So like you're just playing with fire at that point. You're playing now with experience. And a low margin for error in terms of in terms of injury. So it definitely makes you unsettled. So like you have to hope that not only does Tobias Merriweather come in and he's ready to contribute, because I, I know everyone's excited about him. I know you are, I know I am, that he can come on the field and he could contribute this year, produce in some fashion. But what if he shows up and he's not ready? Then you're or he gets hurt. Or, or exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, because some guys just come and it's a hard transition. Like, it's not yeah. easy for a guy to just step on campus and just be an immediate contributor, you know, as, even if he's extremely talented. So there's a lot of question marks if, if a couple of those things do not go well and you're putting yourself in a really bad position. So I don't want – I mean, look, they're try, they're going to the – they're keeping their eyes on the portal in case there's a situation that makes sense, right? But even that situation, 
that's a depth piece, right? Like you don't right. want that guy to have to be a dude. Like you don't want right. that to be the situation. The, those guys in. aren't coming to Notre Dame. They're not. That that, that kind of player is not transferring to Notre Dame right now because number one, they they do have some depth pieces, and number two, if it's a veteran player, he and he's that good of a player, he's he's in the NFL right. He's or he's getting ready for the NFL draft right now. So that that's the reality. It's like any receiver they get in the portal, most likely is going to be a guy that's going to be a, a depth piece, right? I mean, like like somebody talked about like um, when the kid from Louisville just jumped into the portal the other week. A buddy of mine sent it to me, and, and he's like, you know, what do you think of this guy? And I'm like, it's really good, but I promise you he didn't jump into portal wondering what school he was going to go to. He jumped into portal because he knew he was going to Alabama, right? I mean, that that's just the reality. They, 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 they let it wait for a few days to make it look good, but – Kids like that, like big time players, don't jump in a portal. Be like, okay, well, I don't want to be here, so let me figure out where I'm going. No, they're smart enough to know because they have people pushing them. Like, hey, you, we, we, let's figure out where you're going to go first, then we'll jump in the portal. Because then that avoid. And sometimes it'll happen the other way around. Like the Mims kid, the, the, like he jumped in. It sounds like it was an emotional decision. He ended up coming back and all that other weirdness. That's a rare case. Most of these kids jump in the portal and they know where they're going. And you know, that's just, that's the reality of it. So it's not always, but it's most of the time. And that's why you just, you're not, uh, uh, you're not going to most likely get a portal guy that's going to come in there and be a difference maker. Right. You, you have those guys. You just need to develop them and hope that they're healthy. Exactly. That's a big key. And Jack, Jake Piper made a comment. He says ACL is no longer a full year recovery for everybody. Players can come back in six to eight months from it. Don't disagree with that, Jake. But, but the, here's the deal though. The one thing that you don't know is Will a guy come back and be as strong, as sharp, and all yeah. that? He'll be. You can come back healthy from an ACL in six to eight months. There's no doubt. It's amazing what medical medical technology has done because an AC an ACL is is not the debilitating thing it used to be, but it is still a thing where your body is no longer composed the same way it was before. That's just that's just the reality, and not everybody comes back faster strong some do and, and more so now than used to but it's not a given so the point is with with avery i hope that he's able to come back and be the player he was when he got hurt if not better but until we see it you know there's there's the question and that's the whole thing about this ryan is it's <laughs> almost called you vince sorry uh ryan is it's I, I if 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 everything goes according to plan, no name's going to be just fine at wide receiver, right? But we're not trying to live in the world of 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 accepting what ifs as if they're all going to pan out because that's not the real world, right? I mean, it's just not, and hopefully it does, but nor, in normal cases it doesn't. So you've got to figure out okay, well, which one's not going to pan out, and who that answer is is going to tell us a lot about, you know, how this team is going to be. So. <laughs> You had to hope, hope for the best, plan for the worst, right? Yeah. Like it's that's the situation that had. I mean, especially when you're a team that you know you have to prepare just in case because you're dealing with guys that are coming off the injury yeah. anyway. So I mean, you've already been dealing with kind of I don't want to say the worst case, but situations right. that are unclear for sure. So it's it's something that you have to work through and you have to be confident in. There's a plan B just in case. Yeah, I we'll talk about this more in the depth position battle, the the position battles, but but. The the second tight end is still a con, is still a question mark for me. I wasn't blown away by what I saw from the second from the guys in that competition, and then Kevin Bauman got hurt again. And I've heard it's a potential, you know, my, not a major major knee injury, but I've heard it's something that's going to require you know 
some rehab or some work or something like that. And it's just, that's been his thing. He just hasn't been able to stay healthy. Mitchell Evans did some nice things, but I, I, I think he's probably still a year away from really tapping into his potential, unless he's able to make some big growth from now until August, which, you know, with that kid wouldn't surprise me a whole lot, but that's still a question mark for me, especially when you couple it with the fact that the receiving depth is a question mark. Like that's the, that's the one combination for me that's concerning is the questionable depth at tight end because Bauman's in has an injury history. Kane Barong's coming back from an injury. And again, until we see Kane has zero career catches. Like I think the kid could be a really good player, but he's never caught a pass yet. I don't want to just assume this isn't a fanboy show. We're like, well, he was this. So everybody's going to be phenomenal. He's got to show it to me. Right. I think he's got the ability. And then you got two freshmen coming in who are super talented, but again, they're freshmen. There's just a lot of what ifs. And so when you the co- combine the, the two tight end, the, the top, the number two to three tight end con- question marks with a lack of depth at receiver, it, it can be problematic. Cause if George Takis was back, because we know what he can do, the depth of receiver can be alleviated by the fact that you're loaded at running back and you have two legitimate, like known commodities at tight end. Right, right. And now all of a sudden, Mitchell Evans and Kane Barong and Bauman are competing for that third tight end spot. Mm-hmm. So I think, I think that's where I'm at. Is is that combination is a little bit concerning for me? And we'll talk more about that here in a little bit. The final one for me, the final sort of question mark that I still have about this football team is quarterback. And it's twofold for me. Number one is I have zero doubt that it, that Tyler Buckner is healthy. He's going to be a really good player for Notre Dame this year. He's going to have his you know young young guy mistakes. This is going to happen. He's also a little bit of a a, a, a gutsy kid. He's going to try to make some throws that nobody else in this roster will even think about attempting to make. And there's going to be a couple times where it's going to get him in trouble. I'm, I'll take it. I'm, that's just me. I, I don't love turnovers. I, I never accept turnovers, but. I can live with it. How about that? Because it's also going to mean he's going to make some plays, but he still has a lot to prove, right? Like he played a lot last year, but not in the role that he's going to be playing in this year. But the bigger question for me isn't so much, will Tyler be good? It's will Tyler be able to stay healthy? Right. And, and I think some people are making too much of his injury history and some people are not taking it as serious enough. I mm-hmm. think it does need to be addressed that, okay, we don't know if Tyler can can play a full season and his style, and that's a question mark for me because if Drew Pine is the guy he was last year, they're going to be fine. But we have seen quarterbacks at Notre Dame regress. Sometimes it's the coaching. Sometimes it's the kid. We've We've addressed that. Drew Pine regressed in the spring. Now, that doesn't mean he can't get back on track and, and, and moving forward. He can. But we also have to accept the fact because what you saw, Ryan, in the practice you were at and what Vince saw in all the other practices he was at and the practice that Sean was at, the two, Sean was the two practices as well, is what we saw in the spring game from Drew is was not a one-off. And that's that's the concern. So quarterback for me is still the one. It's not a problem area. It's a question that needs an answer. And right. I think it's a twofold question. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's it's quite simple. You need Tyler Buckner to be the player he can be. And you need him to be available, obviously. But you have to also, again, preparing for the worst case. And the worst case is that he goes down, right? And that you have to rely on another quarterback. And I thought, honestly, Brian, and I know that there's some context to the situation because he didn't push the ball down the field a lot and all that stuff in the practice that I was at or the game 
Steve Angeli looked pretty good, but you don't want to have to depend on Steve Angeli in 2022. No. Like you just don't want to do that. That's unfair to That's putting him in a position 100%. to fail. Hundred percent. No, I mean, not many. Not many people are built for that, right? Like, there's a lot of guys who just aren't ready for that type of situation. It's a kid although, that didn't throw for over three thousand yards in his entire high school career, COVID related. But that's the sure. COVID affected Steve's experience level. His junior year, he played like six games because of COVID, mm-hmm. and then this last year, he's a good player. He threw for like seventeen hundred yards this year. Right. Right. Yeah. So I mean, it, you you have to have a backup plan, right? And Drew Pine is the only way that you have a backup plan this year. He has to be a good, solid football player. He has to. He, If he's pressed into, into action, I mean, we saw him last year. I wouldn't even say that he was just like a facilitator and he could just get it done. Like he had some nice moments, man, yeah. where he like was not afraid of the moment. You need that guy. You need that guy. Because even if he's just a backup, that gives you such a baseline. At right. least you're not scared. You you can run your full offense because right. you're not afraid that Tyler Buckner might get injured again. Right. You know, like you're not hindering yourself. Yeah, because like somebody brought up the Wisconsin game. Somebody who's a who's not not high on Drew, and he brought up the Wisconsin game. He's like, well, you know, he fumbled the ball and allowed Wisconsin. Yeah, it was like his first drive of the game. He got hit from the blind side. And that was a mistake. But what I what we learned about that and what we talked about at the time was, but look how he responded to it. The next drive he comes in, he's complete. He goes like four or four throws uh, completes a third and five pass to Kevin Austin hits Michael Mayer up the seam on a beautiful throw and then check like looks off his left side and comes back to Kevin Austin his third read to hit him for a touchdown to put that make a 17 13 game a 24 13 game you know we saw it against Cincinnati he comes into the game they're down 17 nothing and he leads them on two touchdown drives you know get him back in that game now again he also showed his limitations in that game and that's why you don't want it to be a full-time thing. But he can come off the bench and win, you know, get you out of a game and win you a game or maybe even bring you back if there's an injury. But it has to be because he's growing off of the guy he was last year not playing like the guy he was in the spring. And that's the question mark for me. And then we had a we had a question mark question here. D.C. Irish with a really good question. Uh, D.C. Irish, one, two, one, three. Do you guys think this, this is the year that Tommy Reese will be judged on the development of Buckner and other quarterbacks? 100%. You cannot – you cannot blame Brian Kelly for this season. Right. Like you can't. And look, and, and I'm and I'm the biggest Kelly hammer out there. Let's be honest. I'm not taking pride in it. I'm just just a fact. I've been hammering Kelly for years. And and I have I am more than willing and and able and ready to to blame Brian Kelly for the things that Brian Kelly deserves blame for. If the quarterbacks don't improve in 2022, it's not Brian Kelly's fault. It could be bad luck, something like that, but it's not Brian Kelly. It's up to Tom Reese. Now, my thing is, I'm that's part of the reason why I have the optimism I have about the quarterbacks, Ryan, is I think Tommy is doing a good job and will continue to do a good job. So, you know, I just – but if he doesn't, there's there's nobody else to kind of put that to put that blame on. Yeah, no, I mean it's it's make or break it type of year, and not. Let me retract that. It's a big prove it year, right? Like this isn't a make it or break it right. because there's there's a possibility that Tyler Buckner takes a nice step forward, but he's not the best of Tyler yeah. Buckner, right? It's like not, you can't he's twenty nine, right? Exactly. Like, you're yeah. not in a you're exactly. not in a make or break year when you're a twenty nine year old coach. <laughs> exactly right? not. But, yeah. I, but I think you're, you're the way you reset it is 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 right on. Mm-hmm. Right. It's a it's a prove it year. Right. There's a lot of talk about Tommy Reese is this brilliant young offensive mind. I agree with it. There's a lot of talk about how Tommy Reese is, is got the ability to be a really good quarterbacks coach. I agree with it. 
I watch them in practice. I see things. I hear the communication, and I'm like, okay, like this, this is this is good. Like, remember when I saw Mike Sanford in practice? I'm like, this guy doesn't have a clue what he's doing. (laughs) I don't have that concern with Tommy now. But again, Ryan, it's like okay, but now we need to see it with the results on the field. But I'm optimistic that it's going to be the case. I'm confident that it's going to be the case. But if it's not, to DC's point, then yeah, that 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 responsibility land squarely on Tommy's shoulders and you know who else is going to feel that way? Tommy Reese. Sure. Right. From what I know of Tommy Reese and and I don't know him very well, you won't hear him being like, "Well, it's not my fault. It's Kelly's fault. It's 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 Chancey's fault. It's Harry's fault. It's Dylan's fault. It's Jared Parker's fault. It's Marcus's fault. It's Tyler's fault." You won't hear that. You don't mm-hmm. hear that from him. And I think that's another thing is that that to me is going to make it seem, at least I don't think you're going to hear that from him. That's another thing for me that was, that gives me confidence that, um, that this group is going to be better. Right. So that, that's where I'm at for that. Do you have any other questions like concerns that you have Ryan about this team before we jump into the, uh, the conversation about the, the, sort of the position battles that we see. Now, I think it's just across the board. I expect the coaching to be better. I expect, I know that there's talent on the roster. It's just about health for me, right? Like that's, I think that's a detriment. You, we mentioned it already. It's like, you know, there's an injury at tight ends. You're extremely thin there already. If there's an injury at wide receiver, you're extremely thin there. I mean, we hadn't even talked about it, but if there's an injury up front to one of the tackles, right, then you're in a weird situation where, like, you hope Tosh can be the guy maybe coming in. Maybe a Caleb Johnson is that guy. I don't know if he will be this year, obviously, but that could set the line back a long way. So I think it's just avoiding injuries right now, man. Like, you feel good about where you are. You feel good about where the depths are coming along, but you don't want to put a guy in a bad situation early on. You don't want to put your roster in a bad situation. Right. So let's, Ryan, let's dive into the position battles. And I think right now there's, there's, I say three with an asterisk because you'll understand why when we get there. Number one, I do think there is a legitimate position battle at left guard. And it's a little deeper than just Andrew Kristoffic and Rocco Spindler. I do think that's a legitimate battle. I think, I think Andrew has continued to develop, but I think Rocco went from, uh, early in spring in spring ball to getting better and better and better. His conditioning looked better in the spring game. He still got some work to do there, but his footwork was better. Still work to be done there, but he's a physical kid. And I thought he was one of the the better guards in the blue gold game. That's a legitimate battle. And and I and I don't and I don't think it's a lock that Josh Lug is going to be the right guard. If Andrew Kristovic and Rocco Spindler are both better than Josh Lug, they're going to move one of those guys over to right guard. And Zeke Carell looked great in the spring game, in my opinion. Like, I thought he was excellent. So the question is twofold. If Zeke is clearly one of your best five, do you do you put him back out the left guard again where he struggled so much last year? And was it because you got to identify, okay, why did he struggle? Was it because he just can't play there? Or is it he wasn't given the tools to be successful that he has now? And here's the here's the other option. If Zeke Carell is clearly one of your best five, do you move Jarrett Patterson out to guard? That's the I, other question. Yeah, I mean, if that's the if that's the scenario that's on the table, Jared uh, Jared Patterson fits guard mold better, right? Like I think that I think there's definitely a combination that coaching was not up to par with Zeke Corral, right? Like he's a guy that at six, three, 
295 pounds. He needs to be technically really good because yeah. he doesn't have a lot of length. He's got solid foot quickness, but it's not exceptional foot quickness, right? Like he needs to be in the proper position. He needs to take good angles. Good he needs to, right. He needs to work through contact. He needs to do all those types of things. So there is technical refinement that could happen from better coaching, but he also like he just doesn't have the profile that would usually be successful at guard. Like he has a center body and there's nothing wrong with that. Jared Patterson, on the other hand, you could play any spot along the offensive line on the college level, any right. single one. So it makes sense. But then also you get into the next thing, Brian, where it's like, but are you going to move a potential four-year starter at center in his final year? Like that's that's not an easy thing to do because exactly. then you have to you have to take into account, okay, what are we doing to Jarrett Patterson's draft stock? Is it helping or hurt? I mean, you it's not the driver of the decision. But you're not doing a, a, a proper service to your captain if you don't at least bring it up as part of the conversation, right? And and I think you kind of got to give him veto power a little bit. He's earned that. Some other guys haven't. A, a potential four-year starter and team captain has earned that right, if if he so chooses. So that's the, it, it's a it's a very complex thing. So that's why I say like the left guard battle is not just Christophic and Rocco Spindler. And it's not just technically, and you said it before when I brought up, I said left guard, and you were like, your thing was more interior line. You went more broad with it because of the fact that it could impact multiple positions. If if Rocco right. and Christophe are balling, you know, Josh Lug is struggling, then it can impact there. If, let's say, one of the tackles goes down, mm-hmm. I don't know if Tosh Baker or Caleb Johnson have proven enough yet to be the next guy there, or is it you have to bump Josh Lug back out there and now the guard spots open up that way. Right. So there's all types of things that factor into it that that say, like, look, there's there is the there's some uncertainty in, in regards to what exactly the makeup of the five is going to be next yeah. year, right? Well, not not even the five, but also the, the depth piece there that you kind of just illustrated, right? It's like if there's an injury, what's the next step? Because usually you're gonna get your first man off the bench, the six best lineman involved, whether so if it is an offensive tackle going down. If Zeke Corral is your sixth best offensive lineman, are you shuffling two different positions? I mean, because obviously you want to just make it'd be awesome if you just had a good backup at every single spot. Like if there's an injury at right tackle, you have a second best right tackle that goes in. And if he's on a similar level, but we know that that's not how it usually works, right? Like shuffling happens because there is clearly a first man off the bench. So it's not even just starting five needs to solidify itself. You also need to figure out like who's right. the swing guys uh, right. next up. Cause that I think will determine a lot of moves. And, and that's the conversation about Zeke Carell goes there too, Ryan. That's a great point because, okay, maybe you don't feel comfortable enough with Zeke at guard to start him there. Or you feel like, look, he could play guard, but he's one of our best five, but we don't think that's true. If he moves to guard, but is he your third best guard? Is he your fourth best guard to where maybe he doesn't start there, but if somebody goes hurt, goes down, you put him there. Michael Carmody's a guy that has to be in that comp- because once Jared Patterson comes back, Michael Carmody's now your third center. He's too good of a player not to get a shot somewhere, in my opinion. And, you know, so how, what kind of growth that does, does he have the kind of summer and fall camp that says, Hey, don't forget about me. Right. And so there's a lot. And, and some of this Ryan is a positive. Right, like this is like when we talk about left guard, it's not because Andrew Kristoffic did anything wrong. I thought he had a good spring. I thought he played. I mean, he solidified when Zeke struggled at left guard. Andrew came in and solidified it. He wasn't great, but he was steady, and they desperately needed steady last year. 
So he was really like, I mean, he was like, not just a, like he was coming, you got this gaping hole and there's just water pouring out. And Andrew was just kind of the plug, you know, just did his job, stop the water from pouring out. Right. And so I don't think he did anything this spring to say he has lost the job. I think it's more about a really talented young player is charging. That's where you want to be in this situation. So I want to make sure people understand this. This is a position battle in the sense that you want a position battle where, hey, if Josh Luck doesn't do this, so-and-so's coming hard and he could push him. Zeke Crow had such a good spring that we got to figure out if this kid's done enough to where we got to figure out a way to get him on the field. So everything we're talking about is a positive, in my opinion, but it doesn't make it not un- less challenging as a coaching staff. But I want to make sure people understand that when we talk about this position battle, it's a it's an encouraging thing because I think Rocco has done enough to give the coach and staff something to think about. I think Zeke did play well enough this spring and in the spring game, but more so in the 14 practices before, to give the coaches something to think about. That's where you want to be, everybody. I mean, that's that's a great place to be. And that's another reason why I'm really encouraged by the offensive line because, hey, if this guy doesn't get it done, okay, put the next guy out there and, and, and roll. And that's a really good place to be. No, yeah. it is. I mean, giving yourself options up front, man. You want to you want to have the ability to get your five best on the field. So it's it's where you want to be. It's where you want to be right now. So you have to feel positive about where everything's going, but there's still there's obviously a couple things to figure out. It's not only just again, not only just the simple fact that you need to figure out your starting five, which is obviously important, but what's the next plan? What's the backup right. plan? That's what you are as a coaching staff, right? Like you always have Plan B, Plan C. What in case this right. guy goes down? What are we going to do here? It's good to be overly prepared. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over thirty thousand mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over six hundred dollars each week. You can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. So we got a question, a super chat from Randy Hernandez. Randy, thank you very much for that. And he says, on the O-line, how deep is the unit numbers wise? I believe right now, Ryan, they're at 15 scholarship linemen for the fall. They weren't there in the spring because you don't have Ty Chan, Ashton Craig, uh, or Emil Wagner yet, and Billy yep. Shrouth and Joey Tunnel were both hurt. So right. the entire freshman class was not a factor in the spring. They will in the fall, as far as we know. I'm still trying to figure out like just exactly what happened with Joey Tanone. I know he's in a car accident, but as far as the severity of the injuries, I, I don't know the answer to that. Mm-hmm. We will try and find that out. But they should be pretty good numbers-wise because if Billy Shrouth is healthy, I think he can give you depth as a freshman. I think Ty Chan is big and strong enough, Ryan, to where he can at least be a depth piece as a freshman. Maybe he's not challenging for playing time, but if you get into a pinch, he can play. 
where Emil Wagner and Ashton Craig are probably coming in at like 265, 270, they're going to need more time. Right. If Joey Tanone is healthy and he's a guy that can be a depth piece for you as a freshman, I don't think any of the freshmen are going to be pushing for playing time as early on. And it's not because they're not good. It's just there's a lot of veteran, better player. Like a lot, of, a lot of stars coming back. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, I mean, and again, you know, talking about the, the depth, Randy, you've got eight kids coming back that have started at least two games each. So that's a good place to be. That's a good place to be. So um, yeah, I, I like where the depth is at, Ryan. And, and then Garth Cassidy also had a super chat. He says, what about Carmody going and battling Lug? That's, it's not so much that he would need to move to guard to battle him. It's like, did he show you enough at center to say, hey, we got to give this kid a chance to compete somewhere? And does right. he do that when you come into the fall? So, yeah, I think – but, see, that's the thing is, like, the line that they put together in the spring was, hey, let's give Michael a chance to see how he handles center. Because you coming in the spring, you didn't have a lot of faith in Zeke Carell because of the way he played last year and his inability to stay healthy. Well, Zeke stayed healthy all spring, and he played great. So now, okay, you know, we've got Ashton Craig and Joy Tanona now, who we view as potential centers. Pat Coogan should be coming back from injury, hopefully. Now you're like, okay, we're, we're, you know, Jarrett Patterson's coming back. So you have, you now have the ability to move Michael Carmody where you couldn't do that in the spring because you only had, you only had one center otherwise. So I think it could happen, Garth, but I think it would be a situation more where he does what he does at his position and Josh struggles. I think it would be more about that than necessarily a situation where you're moving him to push Josh Lug. I think that is is more to it. So I'm going to go the other one, and, and we kind of talked about this earlier, and that is the, the other position battle, and this one is not so much as a positive as a concern for me. Like the guard position, like I, what we just discussed for me is, is more of a I don't care or know who's going to start a guard, but I'm confident they're going to play well. If Andrew Kostopic is a guard, he's going to be good. I have no doubt because it means he's going to beat out some really good players. If Rocco beats him out, he's going to be really good. If Michael Carmody beats somebody out, he's going to be really good. So I'm confident there. The number two tight end is one that's still a question mark for me. And and, and when you look at Mitchell Evans, he does some really nice things. Athletically, he's there. I think he's got some talent there. I think he competes. He battles. He does all those type of things. But then you get in a situation where you're like, but he's still probably a year away size and strength wise from where you want him to be in regards to being able to physically handle the all of the ins and outs of the number two job. So for me with Mitchell Evans, I look at the next so like May, June, July. So the next three months is a big month is a big period for him because He's going to have to really take that jump, in my opinion, physically to say, okay, you, you're a kid that's got some talent, but we really need you to, to get to the point where you can be a more effective in the run game. You can be stronger, those type of things. If he can make a strength jump this offseason, then, then, I, then I'm confident that Mitchell will have a shot to lock down number two, unless Kane Barong comes on from his injury and, and pushes him. So – and then, of course, you got the freshmen. So, to me, Ryan, I'm not – this is the one position battle, second tight end, where I'm not quite as confident that they're going to – that the, like like I said, Ryan, before when you had to jump off, like at guard, it's not a 
concern. It's a battle because so many guys are playing starter caliber ball. It's more of Kristoffic starts. He's great. If Rocco beats him out, he's great. I mean, whereas number two tight end, it's more of a, I don't really know who's really emerged and taking hold of that job yet. It's a big period for, for Mitchell Evans. Kane Barron comes back. There's talent there, but it hasn't quite emerged yet, in my opinion, and established itself. Well, we, we talk a lot of, we've talked a lot of Brian about the running back unit, right? Like if there's going to be more, I don't want to call it simplicity, but there's going to be more niches or roles. I'm almost curious to see if, if Kane Barron comes back and he is kind of the movement based tight end that can give you something in the past game and he can provide reps in, is there a situation where you don't actually have a number two tight end? You have guys that are maybe splitting a ton of time as the second tight end, because there is going to be some designs and wrinkles in the offense where you're going to need the second tight end to be more of a pass receiver. Is there going to be some where you have a guy that's going to be more of a blocking tight end? Are you going to be able to use parts of each of their game to a specific role rather than depending on one guy to be that guy? You know what I mean? So that's kind of what I'm curious about is just to see what is the split as the second tight end? Is there a true guy that takes on the volume as the number two tight end and two tight end, three tight end sets, whatever it would be? Or if they're a team that is just like, we have different skill sets, so we're going to maximize skill sets. We're not going to be as much worried about volume at that second tight end spot. Yeah. The the third position battle is more of a overall positional thing as opposed to left guard, number two tight end, and that's receiver. Because honestly, like, there's, there's somebody being critical of, of, you know, I did a projected depth chart yesterday. And I had Deion Colsey in the boundary. I had uh, Lorenzo Styles at the field and Avery Davis, Davis in the slot. And it was like, well, you know, Deion Colsey hasn't done anything yet to prove that he should be the number one. And I'm like, well, first of all, it's like it's a post-spring depth chart. Number two is who are you going to put there? Like who, who are you going to put in the boundary the way Notre Dame runs the off? You going to put Lorenzo Styles there? He's never played it down there before. You going to put Avery Davis there? You going to put Brayden Lindsey there? Like who are you going to put there? Right? So I think there's a lot of questions. And, and, and that's the question is – Okay, your three best receivers, somebody's going to have to somewhat play out of position based on what they've shown so far. Now, maybe Lorenzo goes to W and he's great at it because I don't think you need a Chase Claypool body to be good in the boundary. Look what Alabama had. Their biggest receiver in 2020 when they had an elite pass offense was John Mechie. It's like six foot, what, 205, right? You know, so you you don't need it, it, but you have to adjust how you run your offense, though. Sure. Right? You can't run the stuff you run all the time if Lorenzo Styles, you're 75% of the snaps guy in the boundary. Now, you can play him there. We both want him to play there, but more so at times in certain mm-hmm. looks, not so much he's the W. Right. And so that position especially is there, but it's it's not so much like the W is it because it's more about, okay, if other guys play well, like how do you move? Is it Michael Mayer out there? Do you do more with him out there? I mean, there's so much to it, Ryan, that, that makes it like a – I just don't know how the receiving core as a whole is going to shake out. You know, right. Tobias Merriweather. Jaden Thomas can play all three of those positions. Mm-hmm. And maybe he's the answer there. From, I, I don't know. And so that, to me, is one of the position battles that I'm really interested to see. You had some guys do some good things in the spring, and I got a bold prediction about this position that people are going to probably lose their minds over uh, here uh, in, in a few. But it's 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 
somebody's got to step up because right now I don't think three receivers have established themselves as starters based on what we saw in the spring. Now, when Avery Davis comes back, that answer changes, mm-hmm. right? I think that then there are three guys that have established themselves as starters. But the problem is those three guys kind of fit two positions. Right. And then you add the fact that we're there's uncertainty about who the number two tight end is. And yeah, those are where the question marks to me. This goes back to the earlier thing about the question mark. So the receiver position battle is one that's going to be very intriguing end of fall camp, in my opinion. Yeah, because I mean it's man, it really just depends. It's kind of like the offensive line shaking out, right? Like who are the who are your best guys, right? Who are the first three? And can they play together? Right. Like and and I think they can. Because let's say it's even like the three the example, right? Like let's say it's Jaden Thomas. Lorenzo Styles, Brain Lindsay are your three best, right? Like, t- technically speaking, it's not a perfect like slot W X type of conversation, mm-hmm. but the fact is that guys have multiple skill sets. Where I agree with you, Devonta. I mean, Devonta Smith was basically the bit the X in their offense or the W in the in Notre Dame's offense for Alabama. He is six foot, one hundred and sixty five pounds, right? Like, you don't need that guy necessarily. But also, in the same respect. Devonta Smith was a great player, and he right. won at the rim as well as you can for a guy that size. Like, he made a ton of plays insane. as a boundary receiver. Exactly. Right? Yeah. But but the thing, to your point, though, Ryan, is they didn't play him there snap after snap after snap. No. And I broke this down in the SEC title game, and he literally lined up at five different receiver spots in the first half. Mm-hmm. And w- what I say five is like boundary outside, field outside, boundary number two, field number two, and then the third guy in a trips. That's five different positions, right? I mean, so it wasn't like you could just – because the problem is if you just put Lorenzo at W, they're going to be able to do things to him because he's not a bigger guy to say, hey, give him problems, right? But if Lorenzo's there one snap and Mayer's there one snap and Deion Colsey's there one snap and Jane Thomas is there one snap and Tobias Merriweather's there one snap and occasionally Brayden Lindsay's there because you're going to do something like maybe you're going to run like a a backside drive concept where you're going to put him in the boundary and just say, you're climbing to 15 and outrunning this guy. Right, So there's things you can schematically do where he doesn't have to win at the line of scrimmage because he's running across. You really have to win at the line vertically. I mean, if you're just running a drive route, you just got to get free of him. Like, just get inside of him, right, it, it, and, and then outrun him. So it's a little different, but it's a wrinkle. It's not an every-down thing. Right. And that's the difference. Well, and, and also, in my opinion, like you need there to be a little bit of depth that steps up at the receiver position, because to our point about moving Michael Mayer around, putting him in the slot, putting him in the boundary. I want that to be because you're just so good that you decide you want to do that. Right. Like, I don't want that to be a necessity. Like, I don't want Michael Mayer to have to play into the boundary a ton because your receivers just have not stepped up. Like that is something that's like, wow, that's a luxury to have. You know what I mean? Like, that's not a necessity. So you need those guys to step up. You need Lorenzo Styles to be a dude. You need Deion Colsey to take a step forward. You need a couple dudes in this group. Otherwise, you're going to force Michael Mayer into a role that is not something that you necessarily wanted to do, but now something that you needed to do because the because the depth piece and just the overall schematics of the of the wide receiver group did not take that step forward. So, Ryan, those mm-hmm. are our position battles. I we purposely left off one i don't think look they're not going to name a starting quarterback now they're not going to name a starting quarterback before fall camp it wouldn't shock me if they wait to name a starting quarterback till closer to the first game but it's not a quarterback there's not a quarterback battle right now the only battle is is tyler buckner healthy 
That's it. Somebody had asked a question earlier. Is he back to working out? He's a week. He's a, he injured his ankle a week ago. They're they're, they're this, the spring is over. They're not in workout mode right now. They just need to let him heal. He's fine. Finals are going to be coming up soon. You don't need to worry about that. Just get healthy, get to treatment and get to and all that. And he'll be fine. But it's one of those things where it wasn't a debilitating long-term. It's just a sprained ankle. He just had a bad sprained ankle. So, Let's get to the bold predictions, unless you feel, Ryan, the need to talk about quarterback being a position battle. I, I don't have the need for that. Okay. No, I'm are, good with that. <laughs> are there any others that you think need to be discussed? Because we both agree tackle is fair. Center's not a position battle other than you have some good players there that maybe you could use to fill other spots. Agree? Number one, yes. tight end's not a battle. Nope. Running back's not a position battle per se, uh, unless you are someone who really cares about – who's the number one and who's the number two. They're all going to play. It's a usage battle. Right. Yeah, and, right, right. and there's not the issue of receiver because at receiver, like you have to have a certain skill set to play at a certain spot at running back. You don't, you know, it's not the same problem. They're all going to play. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm not worried about that. Yeah. So, so Ryan, mm-hmm. Mr. Roberts, <laughs> let's get into some bold predictions. We both have to make three. Uh huh. Um, would you like to start or would you like to defer to me? Are we going one to one or are we going all three? One, 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 one. I'll start. I'll start. I think this one's pretty bold. I think it is. We'll see. Tyler Buckner has more rushing touchdowns this year than turnovers. Okay. Hmm. I mean, I think it has to get, yeah, because I, I, my counter, not my counter, but my first thought to that is the way I think he's going to play. I mean, he's going to have to rush for 10-plus turnovers or 10-plus touchdowns to get there. Because I think it's between possible. fumbles and interceptions, he, he he may have 10, 10, 11, or 12 of those, right? just depends on, you know, how, how it goes. But, yeah, that's you know, interesting. You, you know where I'm banking. Where I'm banking is, oh, you okay. know, as a former coach, right, you almost have to go, to a large degree, man in the red zone, right? What is that a victim of running yep. quarterbacks? Like that is the big like when you get your back turned to a guy like a like a Tyler Buckner. Uh-huh. I think that that's where he's the biggest threat well, right there in the red zone. And Ryan, I remember in 2017, I, I mean, as, as di- the game in which Brandon Wimbush rushed for over 200 yards against Boston College, mm-hmm. as big of a threat as he was, they were so afraid of the line and so and had to commit so many resources to the line. There was that one play against BC where Brandon literally walked pulls the ball on a read zone and, and all borderline walks and I mean, like borderline it being literally walking into the end zone. Right. And there will be plays like that. And and look, he had 14 that year. Mm -hmm. And and I don't think it's necessarily out of the question that, that, that Tyler gets close because one of my bold predictions is that Notre Dame will score 40 points a game this year. And I mean, so they yeah. were at 30, they were at 34 in 2017. That's a full touchdown more per game, which means that's an extra 13 touchdowns, essentially, assuming you don't have two field goals get turned into touchdowns as well that you're going to have. And I think he could fill that void because it, it's not, it's, it's the red zone touchdowns, but it's also those goal line touchdowns when teams are overplaying the run. I think mm-hmm. it, it is a big, a big part of it. So I, I almost I, had one I very like similar to that one. I, I I almost put down their five points better per game, which would have got me a 39. So I was pretty close. Well, they were at 35 last year. If it, they, oh, were they? Yeah, they were at 35.1. 
last year because of the bowl oh. game. No, they were 30. They ended up 35.2. Oh, okay. So yeah, the end of the season. Now, if you want to, now here's, here's, here's the thing we could say, are you talking strictly offense or the team? Cause if you're talking I, I, strictly offense, they were because they had four non offensive touchdowns, which is going to add to your points per game. Yeah. I mean, I was going from an offensive perspective. I didn't really. So, then, then you're, so they were, hold on a second. They, they had five, they had five touchdowns last year, right? They had two mm-hmm. defensive touchdowns against Georgia Tech, two against Cincinnati, yep. or two against um, uh, Wisconsin, and then they had the kick return, right? And then they had a they had a non they had a missed extra point, I think, on one of those. So you take thirty four off, and then you look at so they were at thirty two point six, around thirty two point six thirty three. So five points better per game just on offense would get the offense up to thirty seven thirty eight points per game, which would right. be pretty good because you're always going to have some non-offensive touchdowns just about everybody has mm-hmm. something Notre Dame just had a couple more than normal last year yep so yeah I can dig that one I can dig that one we're on we're, we're similar page on that one what's your so that's your number two mm-hmm. I also had a Tyler Buckner prediction for my for my number two okay uh, my, my number two was that Tyler Buckner next year will have uh 3,500 yards 3,500 plus yards and 35 plus touchdowns Total touchdowns. That could mean 22 passing and 13 rushing, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's my – and, again, it's a bold prediction. A bold prediction isn't like Notre Dame's going to run for 200 yards a game. Like, that's not a super bold prediction, right? Like, that's something they've done a lot of. These are meant to be kind of fun and a little bit like, oh, wow, that's that's a lot. And, you know, so, yes, I'm going to go with Tyler Buckner is going to account for 35, at least 3,500 yards total offense – Mm-hmm. And at least thirty-five total touchdowns, running and passing. Both of those are running and passing. I mean, I mean, I think people would say the touchdown numbers may be the bold part. Like, I, I don't think it's bold to say like twenty-eight hundred passing, seven hundred rushing, right? Like, that's reasonable. I think. I don't think that's outlandish. No, not outlandish. I think yeah. the question that I have is there's going to be some games where he's not going to have very many yards. And I look at I look at games like, or potentially I look at games like Marshall. They have the UNLV, Syracuse. I could see him throwing right. for a buck twenty and rushing for fifty, and they're up thirty-five nothing half. It's fair. You know what it's I mean? Fair. Like that, yeah. that's kind of that's kind of where I come from. It and because they do have so much depth at running back, I think there's going to be times where they're just not like completely completely loaded. In that's fair. To running quarterback run game is what I'm referring to. Uh, that's where I was kind of coming from the total mm-hmm. number standpoint. But I do yeah. believe that the touchdowns is the more bold because I yes. was originally going to go 30 and I was like, that's nothing. That's like 22 and eight. That's like, that's like not, not hard. Yeah. So that's why I went to 35. What is your third bold prediction? My third one is that there will be four players offensively that rush for 500 or more yards. So Tyler Buckner, four players on offense that run for mm-hmm. 500 or more yards. Okay. So we have my in the prediction. I would say Buckner is one. I would say Chris Tyree is another. Audric Estime is one, and then it's either Logan Diggs or you know third, third running back. Very interesting. I could see that. Yeah, I, I'd say definitely three. Yeah, I think the fourth is what makes that bold. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, I'm, let's look at this. Last year they had one. Twenty twenty they had only one, but that's because they played only twelve games. Yep, and Chris Tyree ran for four ninety six. So close. And Ian Book went for four eighty five. 
So very close. Yep. They would have got to 500 in 13 games and they played one fewer game. Sebo that year in only nine games ran for 299. Mm-hmm. 19, two. Mm-hmm. Tony Jones and Ian Book. In 2018, it was only one Dexter Williams, but they had four guys go for at least 250. Right. Which I thought was interesting. And and here's the thing only one running back that year played more than played a full season. Dex only had nine games. Jafar played 10. And then Ian Book was one of them, too. He missed a game as well. 2017, they had two. But they also had Deion McIntosh had 368 in eight games. And Dex had 360 in 10 games. Then they had two other guys that had over 200 yards. So if you consolidate the fifth and sixth, fourth and fifth guys that had 200 plus, then you could get closer to that number. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you had one in 2016. You had three in 2015. So that was the last time they, that was the closest they came, right? To is you had three. Mm-hmm. So you had, you had CJ Procise, Josh Adams, and Deshaun Kaiser. Yep. 14, you had one, 13, you had two, and then Torian had 470. So you got close that year. But then the next after that was 204. 2012, they had two. 2011, they had two. 2010, they had two. So yeah, that's bold. I mean, it's something that, I mean, a bold prediction is something you haven't seen before. Right. <laughs> right? So you're like, you know, two guys are going to get 500 plus yards. You're like, okay, dude, they do that every year. That's not real bold. So yeah, I, I, I like that. I know I like that because it's, it's something we haven't seen in the last 12 years. And there's been some years where you've had running quarterbacks because you don't do that if you don't have running quarterback. You think exactly. It's not one of those guys, right? Mm-hmm. And so Notre Dame has, I mean, gosh, is, other than Tommy Reese, every quarterback they've had since is a running threat. They, they varied by degrees, but, well, well, let me rephrase that. Between Tommy Reese and Jack Cohn, <laughs> right? Every quarterback. Hey, Jack Jack Cohn had a 20-yard touchdown last year. But, I don't know what you're talking about. But Tyler Buckner still went for 336 last year as the backup. Yep, yep. So he may have done more if he didn't get hurt. They only did that in 10 games. So, yeah, I like that. My My third bold prediction is that, and it's not so much a statistical one, but more of a, a breakout one. Deion Colsey is going to end up being one of their three best receivers next year. And I'm talking three, let me rephrase it, three best pass catchers next year. That includes a tight end. Love it. I, I was really skeptical of that during the spring. But there was a couple things I saw from Dion in the spring game that made me say, what was it? What was it we said about Dion? Like he needed some success to prove to him, hey man, you can be good. And and I think they're challenging him. Like that's something that's important. The staff believes he can be a difference maker. I, I'm I'm confident in that. And after this, Sean told me this because Sean was sitting really close, so we got him really nice tickets for the for the blue gold game. He he was originally going to be up in the press box, but we we hooked him up for his birthday because his birthday was on the blue gold game and so he actually heard this happen directly and i don't know if this was on the tv copy or not but he said after like kind of late after Dion missed that early catch like marcus freeman like ran over to him was like you got to catch that you know this that and the other and 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 that kind of backs up what i've been told by other people that they're really pushing Dion because they think he can be a dude like they see him with a lot of talent it's just 
he's got to buy into it. He's got to understand that next level of, you know, hey, yeah, I can be great, but I got to do this to get there. Whereas in the past, I could just do this to get there. And I think that's where he's at. But I think the fact that he did get open for what could have been a couple of touchdowns, I think there's a lot of film that Chancey Stucky can point to and say, hey, man, if you can give me that every snap, you can be a dude here. And I think Dion needed that. And and I think he's going to have a strong summer. And I think he's going to be a guy because there's here's the reality of it. There's things Dion Colsey can do on the football field that nobody else on the roster right now can do at receiver. The only other dude on the roster that can do it is Michael Mayer just because of his size, right? And so they're going to give him more chances than maybe some other guys would get. And I think that's where I come from on that, Ryan. So what is your what is your response to that? I think if 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 Notre Dame's passing offense or just offense in general is at its best, it's because Deion Colsey took a big step. Because like you said, there are unteachables there that you just can't coach. Like you can coach the releases, you can coach the ability to stack, you can – Teach even the ability to win at the catch point with with proper technique and you know in positioning. You can do all that stuff, but you can't teach six five. You can't teach the fact that he can run and he brings a different element that is not present in the offense right now. I love Lorenzo Styles. Lorenzo Styles is six foot one, and he's a guy that I envision more manipulating space and getting open that way. Right, like he's not a six five going to bully you at the catch point, work down the vertical vertically in this in the same way that Deion Colsey is going to do. So. That element is not present on the roster. So the optimist in me says, if Notre Dame's going to be at its best, it's because Deion Colsey stepped up and he's a player that we think he can be with that talent level. Yeah. And I, I was and I'll say this if he doesn't step up, my next bold prediction is to by the end of the year, Tobias Merriweather's pushing for freshman all American honors. Woo. He doesn't step up. Tobias will beat him out. I mean, just if Dion, and I think that I honestly, here's, here's something that goes into this too, for me, Ryan, Mm -hmm. I think Dion, I think Tobias showing up this summer is going to be the final thing for Dion to sink or swim. And I think he's going to swim. Cause like right now, like when Tobias shows up, like that's the only dude on the depth chart that Dion can like look in the face, right? Like everybody else kind of looks down on, right? Like, you know, cause they're small, a lot smaller than he is. And I think I think when Tobias starts going out there and practicing like balling out a little bit, I think that's going to be like like okay, Dion, like for the first time in your life, you're not the most physically gifted on the roster guy on the roster. You know what I mean? Like last year he wasn't because you had Kevin Austin, but it was different. He was a freshman. It's like you got to bring it, buddy. And and I think he's going to answer that challenge. I do. I and I I don't have like specific reasons to believe this. I just it's just a gut. It's just my bold prediction. And I think that when Tobias shows up. And he starts playing. If if Dion if Dion doesn't respond well to that, that's the competition Marcus Freeman says he wants and loves, right? If Dion doesn't w- respond well to that, Tobias will beat him out, and Tobias will be a playmaker for Notre Dame. I think Tobias is going to play no matter what. Mm-hmm. I think if Dion steps up and balls out, then Tobias can give him some time there. But he can also play X. He can play Z. He can. He's a six four guy that can play all over it would, because of his skill set. So it's not like Dion or Tobias. It could be both, and mm-hmm. I think we'll see some twelve personnel if they both step up at times where you got those two big guys in the field. But if Dion doesn't step up, Tobias will beat him out, and he'll be the W, and he'll sure. be, and he'll have forty plus catches and and be you know pushing for potential freshman All American honors. But I think Dion's going to respond well to that, and 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 
I think the light's going to go on for Dion a year before it did Miles Boykin. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.